I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, we're going to be talking about something that I know you guys have heard of, but you might not realize that they're real. That's right, I'm talking about Gremlins. Not the fantastically awesome movie from 1984, but actual Gremlins. But as always, the first thing I want to do, and please don't skip this, Because it's very important. The first thing I gotta do is shoutouts. The cool kids of the Paranormal Almanac universe. The Paramaniacs themselves. That's right, I'm talking about the patrons. Go to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac. But let's get to these shoutouts. We got Kat. We got New Laura. Angie. Anthony. Dan. Daniel. Dill. Edgar. Juliana. Laura. Laura. Elijah. Todd. And Matt. Please remember, I am out to collect all the Loras, kind of like Pokemon. I gotta collect them all. So, Loras, if you're thinking about joining Patreon, please do so. I would really appreciate it. For all the other fans that I've been chatting with on Instagram and on Facebook and via email, I'm loving every minute of it. Please, 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 if you have ghost stories, message me on Facebook. If you have UFO stories, message me on Facebook. If you have any kind of paranormal story, sleep paralysis, shadow people, demons, you name it, I want to hear about it. The more bizarre, the better, as long as it's real. That's all I ask, is that it's real. As you guys know, throughout the year, I collect all the listeners' ghost stories for listener ghost story episodes. They're very popular episodes. You guys love them. I love them. Makes it a little bit easier for me because you guys are doing the work on this one. I'm just reading them. But they're fantastic episodes, and I'd like to have more. So if you've got ghost stories or paranormal stories, please, please, please reach out. All right, before we get to paranormal news, let me talk about some other podcasts that I absolutely love. And I'm talking about My Favorite Murder. Karen and Georgia are fantastic. If you haven't listened to it and you're into true crime, trust me, you're going to love it. They just started their own new podcast network. So, if by the off chance that Karen and George are listening and they want a paranormal show with a lot of listeners and a good amount of back episodes to throw onto their network, I would like to recommend Paranormal Almanac. I would love to be part of your new podcast network. Other podcasts I love... Allie Ward, anything she does, she's fantastic, but I'm talking about Allie Ward's Ologies. Each episode is completely different. You never know what you're going to get, but I guarantee you, you're going to love it. For the Disney fans out there, listen to Glamdom Fandom. They're awesome. I was on an episode of theirs. They're fantastic. Uh, Please Remain Seated is great. Uh, If you like horror movies, Video Vampires are great. Um, these guys don't need my shout-outs because they have huge crowds, but I also love listening to Spontanea Nation, Freedom, 
one of my new favorite podcasts. Harmontown, Comedy Bang Bang. I mean, there's so many out there. The point is, I understand, shockingly, that some of you listen to other podcasts besides my own. I get it. I do it too. Okay, let's get on to paranormal news. It is Loch Ness Monster Mania right now. And you know, I don't like using the term monster. So let's just say it is Nessie Mania right now. Not one, but two new sightings. First up, Lynn Locke from Ontario, Canada, says she saw Nessie 50 yards offshore. It was on their last day they visited the castle and went on a cruise on Loch Ness. But while they were visiting the castle, she says, I noticed something moving in the water with trails of bubbles leading up to it. It went under the water a couple of times and reappeared. She says it seemed strange, and of course I heard the story of Nessie, so I took a few pictures. I believed in Nessie before this, so I was very excited when I saw something strange in the water. My family is a bit skeptical about Nessie, but I think this sighting, as well as the other one the same day further south, which I'm going to get to in a minute, has made them change their minds a little bit. I do think I saw Nessie, maybe the tail. I've seen a stick floating in the water before, and it didn't look like that to me. Of course, I didn't think I would see anything going to Loch Ness that day, so it was a surprise. Okay, so that was story one, and as she mentioned in this story, there was a second story, a second spotting. Because a girl, 12, spotted Nessie, her name is Charlotte Robinson, and she spotted Nessie on the first day of her holiday with her parents, as Nessie appeared to pop her head and neck out of the water. Now, she's from Leeds. She was staying the night at the Loch Ness Highland Lodges with her parents when she spotted the elusive beast just 50 feet away from the shore. So it's a very close sighting. Both of them are. And the fact they were both seen on the same day in different parks of the loch leads me to believe that we have two independent spottings of Nessie. And if anybody would like to send me out to Loch Ness to do my own Nessie hunt... I promise I will share lots of pictures and lots of stories. Okay, our last story before we get to the gremlins is about China's Bigfoot. Because it was nearly 40 years ago, Yaun Yahao, I guarantee you I didn't say that name right, remembers his brush with China's Bigfoot. He says it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was during the day in 1981 he was a former soldier. He was on expedition in the northwest Hubei province, and it was interrupted by the sight of a black, red, humanoid animal walking upright. Its speed was very fast, but it was walking, not running. And he says it walked faster than a human ran. Here's where I don't like this story, because this man, Yaun, quickly loaded his rifle and took dead aim at the figure. But before he could pull the trigger, his colleague, whom I love, intervened saying, don't you dare shoot. If you do and it turns out to be a human, you've wounded or killed, and not a Yaren, that's what they call a Bigfoot in China, then what will happen? Thankfully, that guy stopped him from shooting a Bigfoot. Don't shoot Bigfeet. Now, the legend of the Yaren in China dates back 2,000 years, featuring in ancient poems and tons of testimony. I don't think I need to go too much deeper into that story because, again, and the reason I'm bringing up this story is because it's being seen again, or still, I should say. The Chinese Bigfoot is still being spotted in news this week. So, 
Let's pause right here again to say, don't fucking shoot at a Bigfoot. I don't care that it might be a guy in a costume. I'm more concerned with you might be shooting a Bigfoot. Don't kill this very rare creature that is doing nothing to you. Is doing no harm to you in any way, shape, or form. Now, that being said, in Bigfoot news, there are people in America, unfortunately, who are saying that Big Feet, Bigfoot, however you want to say it, are pests that should be hunted and killed. And this is in the southeast in Louisiana. I don't want to give too much more of that story. I'm definitely not giving the guy's name because I don't want to give him publicity because F that guy. Don't shoot at Big Feet. Don't shoot at Bigfoot. Don't shoot at Sasquatch or Yeti or Yaren or Yahweh or any other version of a Bigfoot. Leave them the hell alone. Okay. With that, let's get on to this week's episode, Gremlins. Now, despite what you guys are thinking right now, Gremlins may be real. Now, again, they don't look like the ones from the movie in 1984, the movie Gremlins. Remember with Gizmo and Stripe, not Spike? You remember it? But just like those creatures in that movie, the real-life Gremlins do wreak havoc. And I mean wreaking havoc because there are numerous stories of gremlins messing with and destroying machinery. In fact, in the First and Second World Wars, gremlins mostly seemed content to mess with pilots and their aircraft. And this is when aviation first really took off, especially during the First World War. So imagine being up there in the sky in this newfangled machine that you're just getting a hang of that's now being used for war And now you've got this creature in there messing with and destroying your plane around you? But before I get to those kinds of stories, let's go a little bit further back. And I gotta say, it's kind of hard to figure out how gremlins actually got their name. It might have come from the Old English word grame or gremian, which means to vex or annoy. But the word gremlin really came into use in the 1920s when the little gnome-like creatures, and yes, that's what some witnesses describe them as looking like, but I'll get to that later, don't worry. Anyhow, those creatures started messing with the Royal Air Force, including British pilots stationed in Malta, the Middle East, and India, as well as Great Britain itself. With the earliest recorded printed use, at least that I could find and that a lot of others could find, the earliest recorded printed use is a poem published in the journal Aeroplane in Malta on April 10th, 1929. Although some say it's even older than that, though, because gremlins seem to be very interested in and damaging the earliest planes, including those, like I said earlier, in World War I. Now, one of the first mentions of the creature can be traced back to an early reference to them in the early 1900s in a British newspaper called The Spectator in which this was written. The Royal Naval Air Service in 1917 and the newly constituted Royal Air Force in 1918 appear to have detected the existence of a horde of mysterious and malicious sprites whose whole purpose in life was to bring about as many as possible of the inexplicable mishaps which in those days trouble an airman's life. And that's a truncated version of the story. Obviously, I'm not going to read you the entire thing. 
regardless of when the Gremlins actually got started, when the first story was, what I can tell you is that stories of Gremlins wreaking havoc went on for years in the military. But it was author Raoul Dahl, and that name should sound familiar because he's the author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, amongst other amazing books. But anyhow, it was him that is credited with getting the Gremlins known outside the Royal Air Force, and that's because of his military service in the 80th Squadron of the Royal Air Force in the Middle East. Raoul Dahl had his own experience in an accidental crash landing in the Western Desert. In January 1942, he was transferred to Washington, D.C. as Assistant Air Attaché at the British Embassy. It was there that he wrote his first children's novel, The Gremlins, in which gremlins were tiny men who lived on Royal Air Force fighter planes. In the same novel, Dahl called the wives of gremlins Fifinellas, their male children Widgets, and their female children Fliberty Gibbets. And I like that one. Fliberty Gibbets. Dahl showed the finished manuscript to Sidney Bernstein, the head of the British Information Service, who came up with the idea to send it to Walt Disney, who went on to try and make it an animated film then ultimately just a story. So, the Fliberty Gibbets and the Widgets really didn't take off, but boy, did the stories of gremlins start pouring in. And let me pause right here to say I should point out, I can't find anything that confirms that Dahl's plane went down because of gremlins. So, let's talk about actual gremlin interactions instead. In 1923, when a British pilot crashed his plane into the sea, he later reported that the accident had been caused by tiny creatures which had followed him aboard his plane and proceeded to wreak havoc aboard the aircraft. And I mean sabotaging the engine, messing around with the flight controls, and ultimately causing the airplane to crash. Then again in 1939, aboard a U.S. military cargo plane this time, the story goes like this. Leaving San Diego and destined for Hawaii, the mission was running smoothly for several hours until urgent distress calls came to the control tower. A short time later, the plane came back to its departure base to land. So it had to come all the way back around to where it took off from. Once emergency crews got aboard the aircraft, they discovered all of the crew dead, each with gaping wounds to their body. The pilot was also dead. The co-pilot apparently survived just long enough to bring the plane home before dying minutes after landing. Even stranger yet, each of the pilots had drawn their standard issued service pistols. Each had also emptied their guns with spent shells found by their feet. That's, a, that's an awesome story. The only problem is, it is written almost verbatim on every site about gremlins. I can't find anything to verify this story, but it is from 1939. There probably wouldn't be a huge gremlin story about this aircraft disaster, if you will. So let's put that in the take that with a grain of salt. But like I said, just about every site you go to about gremlins has that story. Is it because it's just a fantastic story or is it because it's the truth? Now, I will say there are a ton of stories that aren't as detailed or fantastic as that, but they're about gremlins reportedly 
sucking the gas out of tanks through hoses, jamming radio frequencies, messing up landing gear, blowing dust or sand into fuel pipes or sensitive electrical equipments, cutting wires, removing bolts or screws, tinkering with dials, knobs, switches, you name it, in the control in the cockpit, jostling controls themselves, actually physically moving the stick and trying to crash the plane, slashing wings or tires, that's terrifying, poking or pinching gunners or pilots, that's freaky, I'll have more of those stories in a little bit, banging incessantly on the fuselage from the outside of the plane to drive the pilots and passengers crazy. That's terrifying. That's very Twilight Zone-ish terrifying. Breaking windows and other, even more scary things like crashing the planes themselves. Some of the planes never even made it. Thankfully, some of the pilots and the planes themselves did survive so they could see the damage that these creatures had caused. There were even pilots who claimed that the creatures had telepathic powers and could create realistic illusions in the pilots' minds. And I'm talking appearances of the ground coming up at them, or a mountain emerging suddenly from behind a cloud. They were also sometimes not just inside the plane, but would also go out the plane, onto the nose of the plane, or the wings of the aircraft in mid-flight, tampering with the wings, or even the engines themselves, while smiling and looking at the pilots. How terrifying would that be to be a pilot and while you're flying to look out and see a, some say, gnome-like creature out on the wing or by the engine slowly destroying your plane while making eye contact. For some reason, the making eye contact is the creepiest part of that for me. Even other eyewitness accounts say the gremlins would also shout, giggle, and that's terrifying for even more reasons, They would also whisper, growl, or otherwise make noise to distract the aircraft crew and the pilots. But it wasn't just the pilots. For some reason, the gremlins in particular loved to mess with the gunners as they were trying to shoot down enemy planes. And also whispering or growling right in the pilot's ear as they were trying to evade the enemy. For some reason... War really brought out the craziness of these gremlins. Now, I'll stop and say right here that, sure, not all these stories are true. It could have been pilot error that caused a plane to crash, and he had he had already heard these gremlin stories. So, of course, he's going to go, it wasn't me, man. I was a great pilot. But this freaking gremlin took us down, man. We were fine until this gremlin came up, whispered in my ear, or started ripping up the engine because he just crashed the plane. It's not like they can... You know, take a look at the engine and say, well, the engine's fine. No, it's not. He just crashed a plane. So, yeah, I get that not all these stories are true. But some of these stories happened on different planes on the same day. And they were virtually identical. From the messing with the gunners to ripping, shredding wings and tires, they would happen on the same day to different airplanes. It's not like these guys made the plan to mess with the air traffic controller, or whoever was in command by saying gremlins messed with their planes. These guys counted on these planes to survive. They weren't going to sabotage their own planes. Okay, with that being said, let's get back into some of these stories. 
But what about non-military pilots? I'm talking about commercial pilots or even more so, what about one of the most famous pilots in the world ever? I'm not talking about Amelia Earhart. I am talking about Charles Lindbergh. While Lindbergh was making his historic nonstop solo flight over the Atlantic from New York to Paris in May of 1927, he reportedly saw gremlins. Lindbergh had been flying his single-engine, single-seat plane, the Spirit of St. Louis, you all know the one, from the Roosevelt Field in Garden City, New York, to Le Bourget Field in Paris, France, which was to be an unheard-of 3,600-mile, 33-and-a-half-hour flight. Think about that the next time you complain about flying five hours across the country. Anyhow, so in the ninth hour of the Lindbergh flight, he reported that he had suddenly felt somewhat detached from reality and found himself surrounded by, quote, several vaporous, strange-looking beings within the cramped confines of his tiny cabin. Now, these creatures spoke to him and demonstrated incredibly complex knowledge of navigation and flight equipment. Interestingly, in this case, rather than cause mischief or wreak havoc or destroy the plane, Lindbergh actually said that the gremlins kept him alert and reassured him that he would remain safe on his journey. Lindbergh kept his bizarre experience to himself for years, but he finally published it in his 1953 book, The Spirit of St. Louis. So this one is a little different gremlin story. They weren't out to wreak havoc or destroy a plane, and yes, I totally get it, He's been by himself for nine hours. It's the, it's the first time this kind of flight has ever been attempted. He's obviously tired, probably delirious, maybe lacking some oxygen. I don't know. Of course, this could have all been some kind of weird illusion or hallucination. I totally get that. However, it's not just Lindbergh. Other pilots reported gremlins helping them, too. They said that it would help pilots avert disasters at the last minute or alerting them when to turn or change course or altitude to evade the enemy or to get the plane down safely. So it wasn't just Lindbergh that had this helpful gremlin-type creature. Other pilots, military pilots, war pilots also talked about gremlins helping them instead of destroying their aircraft. Okay, so that's a few gremlin stories. Let's get to what they actually look like. The physical descriptions of gremlins vary, and I mean really vary. Some cases, they're little elf beings, kind of looking like little elfish things. They kind of look similar to humans, but they're very, very tiny. They wear bright red or green double-breasted frock coats, so they're stylish. They have old-fashioned hats with feathers, so they're pimpish. And pointed shoes, so they're elfish. The skin color could be green, gold, pink, red, others... I don't know what the others are. And other eyewitnesses say that they look more sinister in appearance, saying that they looked animalistic with hairy bodies, large pointed ears, deep red or glowing eyes, and horns. Other eyewitnesses say that the gremlins are hairless, gray-skinned, vaguely reptilian in appearance, and having enormous mouths filled with pointy teeth. So they almost sound like critters almost. If you guys don't know the movie Critters, you should watch it. It's great. It's not great, it's bad, but it's so bad, it's great. 
There were cases that said they looked like jackrabbits, bull terriers, a odd combination of a jackrabbit and a bull terrier in some cases, and even other eyewitnesses say that there were merely wispy entities seemingly composed of mist or smoke. As if that weren't enough odd, varying descriptions of gremlins, here's some more. Some eyewitnesses mentioned web hands and feet, fins, or even bat-like wings. And it's not just little tiny creatures because they also vary on sizes. Some said to be like six inches tall, all the way up to three feet in height. Some odd eyewitness accounts say that they have large feet with suction cups or even leather shoes with hooks, both of which enabled them to walk about on the outside of the airplanes or hang upside down. Now, there is one common thing that almost every pilot has said about a gremlin encounter. They say that the gremlins that are outside the plane were able to withstand incredible temperatures, high altitudes, and violent winds. No matter what the pilots did or how high they went when they're trying to get these little tiny creatures off their planes, stopping them from destroying the planes, the creatures were able to hold on and were able to still breathe and continue wreaking havoc. So I think it's pretty safe to say that the eyewitness encounters um, are so varying that they don't really help us to describe what gremlins look like. There are a couple of crude drawings of gremlins from, I believe, the 30s and some from the 50s, and they look very alien-like. They're short, they're squatty, they have long arms, they're hairless, they have pointy ears, big eyes. So they're very bizarre. The weird thing about that, though, is that two different stories that I'm going to get to in just a little bit have virtually the same description, and they're separated by time and distance. So it's very interesting that one that was set in, uh, I believe, 1940, and another one that was set in the 40s, and one that was set in the late 50s, both seem to have the same description, even though one was over in England and one was in the South here in America. All right, let's get back to a couple more stories, though. The first one is about the Battle of Britain. If you don't know what the Battle of Britain is, you can kind of guess from the name of it. It's an enormous air battle that was waged against the United Kingdom by the Germans during World War II, especially during the summer and autumn of 1940. This battle, for whatever reason, saw the most reported cases of, of gremlin activity ever. So much so, in fact, that the British Air Ministry even acknowledged the problem and made serious attempts to investigate gremlins to figure out what they were. As if that wasn't enough, the British Ministry even went as far to have a service manual written up by a gremlorist. Apparently, that's a person that is proficient in gremlins. And that is by pilot officer Percy Prune. And it was an official document consisting of a list of the creature's exploits how to placate or distract them, and various ways to avoid accidents due to their presence, such as not displaying bravado, arrogance, or overconfidence, which was thought to attract the creatures, which I think is hysterical. There were also posters that warned about gremlins, as well as bulletins, which included the following thing. This is the bulletin. Here we go. They say it's a ditty. I'm not going to ditify it. I'm just going to tell you it. This is the tale of the gremlins as told by the PRU at Benson and Wick and St. Eval. And believe me, you slobs, it's true. 
When you're seven miles up in the heavens, that's hell of a lonely spot. And it's 50 degrees below, which isn't exactly hot. When you're frozen blue like your Spitfire, and you're scared a mosquito pink. When you're thousands of miles from nowhere, and there's nothing below you but the drink. It's then that you'll see the gremlins. Green and gamboge and gold. Male and female and neuter. Gremlins both young and old. It's no good trying to dodge them. The lessons you learned on the link won't help you evade a gremlin. Though you boost and you dive and you jink. White ones will wiggle your wingtips. Male ones will muddle your maps. Green ones will guzzle your glycol. Females will flutter your flaps. Pink ones will perch on your perspex. And the dance pirouettes on your prop. There's a spherical middle-aged gremlin will spin on your stick like a top. They'll freeze up your camera shutters. They'll bite through your aileron wires. They'll bend and they'll break and they'll batter. They'll insert toasting forks into your tires. And that is the tale of the gremlin, as told by the PRU. Pretty, ruddy, unlikely to many, but a fact nonetheless to the few. So there you go. There's your little gremlin's ditty. Feel free to auto-tune and vocalize and uh, songify what I just did. And uh, the best song will win a prize. You don't have to do that. But like I said earlier, it wasn't just the English that were dealing with gremlins. American pilots and airmen typically describe seeing a creature, a very strange creature, out on the wings of their aircraft too, where that creature would fiddle around with the aileron, which is the hinged flight control surface on the wing that allows it to roll or bank that I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, and I apologize to all you pilots out there. These stories were becoming very persistent and were being told more and more. More and more people were seeing these creatures that the Americans often referred to the creatures as Yehudis, Y-E-H-U-D-I-S, after a famous violinist of the time because they were always fiddling with stuff. Now let's talk about one specific gremlin story a fantastically famous gremlin story this story was told by an american boeing b-17 pilot during world war ii known only as lw now he had a rather bizarre and harrowing experience with gremlins during combat missions and he says oh they are real all right they'd climb inside the aircraft and hide in there or hook up under the wings I'm sure they were sabotaging most of the Allies' machinery. Now, this pilot said that while he was taking his ginormous B-17 higher and higher, he could hear a strange sound coming from the engine and the instruments on the panels in front of him when they started to go haywire. He said he looked outside to his right and he saw a, quote, freakish entity out on the plane's window latched onto the plane. It was about three feet tall with abnormally long arms gray hairless skin, deep red eyes, a gaping mouth full of teeth, and pointed ears with tufts of black hair at the ends like owl ears, he says. And he goes on to say that the creature was just staring at him from outside of the plane, and he said it was bitter cold and very, very windy, and it was fine. It was just holding on and looking at him. But that isn't the only one, because when he looked to the nose of the aircraft, he saw yet another one of these gremlins dancing about on there and pounding away haphazardly at the fuselage. 
He goes on to say, so I'm very aware of my surroundings, and as I go higher, I notice an unusual sound coming from the engine. The instruments went nuts. I look to my right. I see this creature staring at me. Then I look at the aircraft's nose. There's another one hanging in there, dancing lizards. That's what he says. This guy, being an experienced war pilot and an experienced pilot in general, thought, well, I'm hallucinating or I'm disoriented or something's wrong with me mentally and physically. But he reported he felt sharp and in control of his senses. Even though he's seeing these bizarre things, he says, I was on my game. I was very sharp. I was in control. He went on to say that the creatures started to laugh maniacally as they, quote, gleefully cavorted outside the plane, pulling on whatever they could get their clawed hands on, banging on the aircraft with all their might, and obviously trying their best to bring his plane down. This is what he said about this. He said, I was perfectly fine. My senses were in good shape, but the weird things were still there looking at me. They kept going at it, pounding the plane with all of their might. After a bit of maneuvering, he managed to shake the critters off his plane, although he would later go on to say that he had no idea if they fell to their deaths or merely jumped to another plane. The reason he's using the initials LW only is because it's a terrifying ordeal that no one's going to believe anyway. He doesn't want to seem crazy. Now, he goes on to say when he got back, he told a gunner friend about it, and the gunner reported it having a similar experience on a training mission just a few days before. So... These gremlins appeared in the skies all over the world. Like I said earlier, from India to England to Germany to America. And LW says he thought it was some sort of soldier developed by the Japanese. That's got to be it, he said. I, I couldn't figure out any other reason for what I was seeing. They must be some sort of soldier developed by the Japanese. That is, until 1947. Any of you ahead of me on this story yet? What happened in 1947? LW goes on to say, One day, I read the news about a strange aircraft crashing in. You're all saying it. Roswell, New Mexico. So I say, what the hell? That's the same people that got on my plane. Now they're trying to attack our country too? I thought if they were capable of building this type of advanced technology, oh boy, I thought we were done. Who knows what else they can do? So yeah, not surprisingly, Roswell and UFOs have made it into this story too. Because as you might have guessed, a lot of people think that gremlins are actually aliens. Were they trying to stop us from going to war? Were they trying to take down all of our warplanes? Were they just watching us to see what these primitive people are doing? Well, that's one theory. But you might also be saying... Why don't we see gremlins in the skies today? There are more planes in the sky in one day today than there were throughout the entire World War I and World War II. So why aren't we seeing these things? That actually might be the very reason. Because a theory out there is that these creatures weren't used to seeing things in the sky and were very intrigued by these new machines. The Scandinavian theory, the Norwegian theory, whatever you want to call it, is a theory about fairies and sprites and other creatures being around well before man and watching man as we would progress through the years. So they would see these brand new things in the sky that they never see before. They were the only ones up there. All of a sudden, mankind as these new little machines 
they might have thought it was fun to mess with, destroy, or maybe they're trying to get us out of their, get us out of their skies. Who knows? But again, it depends on what theory you believe. Is it that they're a version of a fairy or a sprite or a gnome? Are they just a magical creature that we don't know about yet, or that we might know about? Are they a magical creature that is just messing with humans to mess with humans? As you guys know, gnomes and fairies and sprites, all of them have been known to be very mischievous and mess with people. Or are they aliens? Because some say the sightings haven't stopped. The Kelly Hopkinsville encounter might have been a gremlin attack. Now, I think I talked a little bit about this one on previous episodes. If I haven't, I apologize. I'm going to keep this one very brief, but basically... This one happened on the evening of August 21st in 1955. There were five adults and seven children at the Hopkinsville police station, and they were claiming that these small that small alien creatures from a spaceship were attacking their farmhouse. That's right. The night before, they had been holding off these alien creatures with gunfire for nearly four hours. These little alien creatures would were coming at their house, their farmhouse, Popping up here, they'd take a shot at it. Popping up there, they'd take a shot at it. Being at the door, they'd take a shot at it. Two of the adults, Elmer Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor, claimed they had been shooting at 12 to 15 of these short, dark figures who, again, popped up at the doorway or peered in the windows and seemed to be either attacking the farmhouse, depending on what version of the story you read, either attacking the farmhouse or just very, very interested in this farmhouse. Because they were afraid that these guys might be shooting at other people, four city police, five state troopers, three deputy sheriffs, and four military police from the nearby U.S. Army Fort Campbell drove to the Sutton farmhouse, and they found nothing. I mean, they did find evidence of the gunfire and holes and windows and doors made by the guns, but they didn't find what they were possibly shooting at. And these were experienced hunters and farmers. And yet there was not one dead creature or, thankfully, person out there. Moving forward in time, the next morning, neighbors told two officers that the families had packed up and left after claiming the creatures had returned about 3.30 that morning. Instead of having another gun battle, which didn't seem to help at all the night before, the people just up and left, and I can't blame them. Now, I can see why they think that this one might be gremlins instead of aliens, and the reason is because the description of these creatures almost perfectly matches LW's description and LW's crude drawings. I did misspeak earlier in this episode when I said one was in England and one was in America. They were both American. I apologize for that. No need to write me. Just just, just get to this point in the in the podcast and you can hear me apologizing saying, yes, I was wrong earlier. It was an American pilot, but... It was still an American pilot in the 40s, and now we're into 1955. They're both describing virtually the same creatures. The drawings are virtually identical. So I could see why some people might think that these are gremlins. And I'll be honest, whether they're gremlins or aliens, or gremlins are aliens, it's still a fascinating little story about people in a farmhouse trying to protect themselves for four hours trying to protect themselves with guns for nearly four hours and not hurting or killing one creature. Now, there's also an international version of the gremlin, and it's called the Tikaloche 
or tokolosh. It's known as a water sprite or a gremlin or whatever you call it, but these ones, they're not just mischievous. They're not just wreaking havoc. They're vicious. Because a tikolosh or a tokolosh is an evil-spirited gremlin in Zulu mythology. A shaman may send a tikolosh to vex his enemies, causing anything from a harmless fright to illness or death. Now, these creatures are described as short, hairy, humanoid figures that can render themselves invisible by swallowing a pebble so they can sneak up on their victims. Once again, they reside in Africa, and they've been known to cause all kinds of mayhem, like eating a man's toes while he sleeps. That's one story. Then, if that wasn't bad enough, in the same bed, while they ate this man's toes while he slept, how he slept through it, I don't understand, but after they ate this man's toes while he slept, they then raped the sleeping woman in the same bed. So these things are freaking horrible, and I hate them already. Now, supposedly, it also has the ability to morph into a mini Bigfoot for strength. Now, there's actually an example of a horrible person who said he was actually instructed by Tokolosh. And this happened in South Africa between 1953 and 1955, when Elafasi Masomi, also known as the elusive axe killer, was hanged. He was hanged in 1956 after being convicted of hacking 15 people to death between 53 and 55 with an axe, hence his nickname. Masomi blamed the deaths on the Tikolosh, which he said would appear on his shoulder and order him to kill. There's also a story in Zimbabwe. It's a Zimbabwean folklore that tells of a beautiful girl who used to bathe in a river in the Manika, Manika province in the Eastern Highlands every day. A Tokolosh living in the water fell in love with her, and one day while she was bathing, it proposed love to her. Not surprisingly, she was horrified and rushed home to tell her human boyfriend, who promptly made his own proposal and gave her nine bracelets as a betrothal gift. Delightedly, she wore the bracelets the next day when she went to go and bathe, and it was then that the Tokolos saw the bracelets, grew so angry, he seized her, cut her arm off wearing the bangles, and threw it in the river. Stay with me for a little bit longer, because incredibly in the early 1940s, a prospector named Captain Valentine found the remains of a human arm and nine bangles buried in the sand on the riverbank and gave it to the Harare Museum in 1953. Here's the problem. I couldn't find any proof of there being a skeletal arm with nine bracelets found by a man named Captain Valentine off the banks of a river. So, it's a very neat story. I can't find anything to prove it, and I seriously doubt I'm going to make it out to the Harare Museum in Zimbabwe to find out if this story is true or not. So, once again, international listeners, if you happen to be in Zimbabwe and go to the Harare Museum, please take a photo of this skeleton arm with nine bangles, but I hope to God this story isn't true. Here's another one from Africa. In 1999, a woman living in the second largest city of Bulawayo summoned a witch doctor to exercise her house, believing that her maid had contacted a tokolosh and asked it to harm her employer. The woman was of Portuguese descent, born and brought up in Mozambique and then Zimbabwe. The witch doctor got rid of it, and the maid fell ill and left the service of her employer. So, um, tokolosh are terrifying, huh? 
There are plenty more stories, all of which I can't verify. So let's stop there with the evil raping Tokolosh gremlins. So there you have a wide variety of gremlin stories, gremlin descriptions, and gremlins antics, and then murderous gremlins at the end there. What do you guys think? Are gremlins real? I tend to fall into the Scandinavian category. That they're just like sprites and gnomes and fairies and everything else. They're real. They're probably of a different dimension, which is how they can come and go at will. I think that they were very interested in aircraft at the very beginning for the very reason I said earlier, that they were here's a brand new technology they'd never seen before. So why not mess with it? Up until this point, besides birds, they were the only thing in the skies. I will say I'm flying in a few weeks, and I hope to God I don't see a gremlin on the wing or messing with the fuselage or giggling or whispering or talking or growling in my ear. I really hope that gremlins have got it out of their system that they don't need to mess with airplanes anymore because there's so many of them in the skies. So that leads me back to that question. What do you guys think? Are gremlins real? Would you want to see a gremlin if you were flying? If you were flying and you looked out and saw a gremlin, what would you do? Who are you going to tell? Who's going to believe you? Sure, you got your cell phone on you now. You could maybe take a picture of it, but still. I think I might be too afraid to think about taking out my cell phone and recording it. I hope I wouldn't. I, I want the proof. I want you all to have the proof. But for all of our sakes, I hope none of us ever see a gremlin while we're in the skies. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Paranormal <laughs> Almanac